as I'm sure everybody is aware, was exactly 245 years ago today, on July the 4th, 1776, when representatives from the original 13 colonies got together inside of the Pennsylvania State House, later named Independence Hall, and they adopted, signed, the Declaration of Independence. Declaration of, of Independence was a document that was drafted by five men, including Thomas Jefferson and John Quincy Adams, both of whom would serve as presidents of the new nation once freedom was fully achieved. And something I didn't realize until studying for this particular lesson, ironically, both of those men, Thomas Jefferson and John Quincy Adams, died on the same day, they actually died on the 50th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence on July the 4th, 1826, which I found to be really intriguing. As to that whole Revolutionary War, the fighting had begun in July of 1775. I'm sorry. The fighting had actually begun in April of 1775, Massachusetts, with a shot heard around the world. But it had escalated in the months that followed. And it was a little over a year later, in July of 1776, when the Continental Congress finally dared to declare the colonies independence from the tyranny and the oppression of the King of England. Now, here's what I want you to understand. It's one of the main points of the sermon this morning. When they signed the Declaration of Independence in July of 1776, the King of England, from whom they had declared their independence, immediately responded with an all-out assault on them. The History Channel reports that, quote, that same month, determined to crush the rebellion, the British government sent a large fleet along with more than 34,000 soldiers to New York. That very month when they declared their independence. You see, when they declared independence, that did not mean the battle was over. Far from it. When they declared their ind independence, the, the response was immediate. It did not mean the battle was over. In fact, for many of them, it was just beginning with that declaration. And for many of them, it would cost them everything. There's a reading that I usually go back to this time of year because it had such a huge impact on me the first time that I read it. And it ties into our lesson, which we will get to shortly after this introduction this morning. It's excerpted from an excellent book called The Rebirth of America. And I'd like to read to you the following. On July 4th, 1776, there was signed in the city of Philadelphia one of America's historic documents, the Declaration of Independence. It marked the birth of this nation which, under God, was destined for world leadership. We often forget that in declaring independence from an earthly power, our forefathers made a forthright declaration of dependence 
upon Almighty God at the same time. The closing words of this document solemnly declare, quote, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor, unquote. The 56 courageous men who signed that document understood that this was not just high-sounding rhetoric. They knew that if they succeeded, the best they could expect would be years of hardship in a struggling new nation. If they lost, they would face a hangman's noose as traitors. Of the 56, few of them were long to survive. Five were captured by the British and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes from Rhode Island to Charleston sacked, looted, occupied by the enemy, or burned. Two of them lost their sons in the army. One had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 died in the war from its hardships or from its bullets. Whatever ideas you have of the men who met that hot summer in Philadelphia, it's important we remember certain facts about the men who made this pledge. They were not poor men. They were men of means. They were rich men, most of them who enjoyed much, much ease and luxury in their personal lives. These were not hungry men, but prosperous men, wealthy landowners, substantially secure in their prosperity. They were men respected in their communities. But they considered liberty much more important than the security they enjoyed, and they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. Little did John Adams know how significant his words would be when he spoke to his wife Abigail on the passing of the Declaration of Independence, saying, I am well aware of the toil and blood and treasure that it will cost to maintain this declaration and support and defend these states. Yet through all the gloom, I can see the rays of light and glory. I can see the end is worth more than all the means. They fulfilled their pledge. They paid the price. Freedom was won. Someone has said to be born free is a privilege. To die free is an awesome responsibility. Yet freedom is never free. It is always purchased at great cost. We see their determination. We see their conviction. And I have to wonder, as I read that, if these men had somehow been assured by Almighty God, which they couldn't have been, God doesn't work that way anymore, drop down and, and tell them personally, but, but if they could have been personally guaranteed that they would not lose their lives, that they would indeed win this battle, do you suppose they'd have had even more resolve if it was possible to have more resolve? Well, I believe they would have. They didn't know what the future held. And as I consider that whole evolution of events, as I think about that whole dynamic, the events that surrounded that particular fight for freedom, there's something I can't help but think about. I can't help but think about the cost of our own eternal freedom from the law of sin and death. Far higher price in blood and treasure was paid for our freedom in Christ.
As I, as I consider the dynamics of what I just read to you and, and that whole circle of events, I cannot help but think about our own personal declarations of independence from the oppression of sin and death. And I cannot help but think of the subsequent battles that you and I must fight after and because of our own personal declaration of independence from Satan's power. I want us to consider those three things this morning at length. First off, I'd like for us to consider the cost of our spiritual freedom, the cost of our freedom from sin and death. I would like for us to consider the cost of our freedom from that which robs us of life and liberty and the possession of happiness. I want us to consider the cost of our freedom from the oppressor, the, the cruel and grim oppressor, from whom you and I had nowhere to run, we had no place to hide, we had no way of escape, from the tyranny and oppression of Satan, who sought to rob us of every good thing God created for us to have and enjoy. You want to talk about a great cost for freedom? You want to talk about a price paid in blood and toil and treasure? John Quincy Adams did not truly know the full and exact extent of the sacrifice it was going to take the colonists in toil and blood and treasure to gain and maintain our national freedom. But Jesus Christ knew before the beginning of time exactly and precisely the full cost and the full extent that it would mean to him of the toil and blood and treasure he was going to have to pay in order to win yours and my freedom. He knew. That's why I love that song. I, I didn't tell Adam what I was preaching on this morning, but that song, He Still Came, I thought, well, man, that fits the sermon perfectly. He knew the cost. He knew what it was going to take to gain and maintain our spiritual freedom in Jesus Christ, knowing every drop of blood, every pain it would cause him, everything that it would take, was willing to pay every last drop of that price for you. For you and for me. Jesus declared that his mission was exactly that from the very first. Jesus declared that his mission was to come to set us free, to win that battle. When he entered his hometown synagogue in Nazareth, and he stood up to read from the book of Isaiah, as recorded in Luke 4.18, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. He said, this is my whole mission. That's why I'm here, to give freedom. He went on to say, not only to proclaim liberty to the captives in Luke 4.18, but to say, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That, he said, is my mission, to set you free from your oppressor. We see this throughout the Bible. He knew his mission. We read in John 8, 31 and 32, as well as 34 through 36, where Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and what? The truth shall set you free. 
He went on in verses 34 through 36 to say, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Jesus let us know in no uncertain terms he came to set us free. Paul would later record in Romans 8 too, how the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Jesus came to set us free. And the cost of your freedom, your personal freedom, don't think about the person beside you, behind you, in front of you, think of you. The cost of your personal freedom, your soul's eternal freedom was paid in full, in blood, by the priceless grace and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What an awesome God. Secondly, I can't help but think of how our Christian experience somewhat parallels the colonists' experience in some ways, but with one or two glaring differences. Consider, I said earlier that the fight began in April of 1775. They declared their independence a little over a year later in 1776 in July. Consider, when a Christian, sorry, back up, when a sinner, begins to understand that they are under the power and tyranny and oppression of sin and Satan, when a person begins to understand there's got to be a better way than the way I'm living, there's got to be a better way, there, there has to be, and, and they, begin, they begin to understand that they're a slave of sin in some form or another, that they are enslaved to sin, they often will begin to fight against it like the colonists had begun to fight against tyranny in 1775. But then when a, when a sinner begins to realize that the ultimate victory has already been won, that Jesus Christ already paid the price, and that victory for them is only assured and guaranteed if they will faithfully follow him, a sinner makes their own, don't miss this, a sinner makes their own personal declaration of independence from sin and Satan when they are baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. That is our personal declaration of independence from the oppressor. We're saying we're not going to be under sin anymore. We're not, we don't want to be under sin anymore. We don't want Satan to oppress us and hold us guilty anymore. Our personal declaration of independence from sin and Satan is when we're baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and we rise up to walk in newness of life. Romans 6, 1 through 4. In fact, please turn with me to Romans 6, if you would, please. That is kind of our centerpiece text this morning. It is only at the point of our baptism into Christ, only at that point, that each and every sinner who wants to enjoy all the benefits of freedom all the benefits of true and eternal freedom from sin and from death and from Satan makes their personal declaration of independence, saying, I don't want to have Satan enslave me any longer. I'm not going to let him continue to tax me to death, as it were. 
And at the same time, when a sinner makes that declaration of independence in the waters of Christian baptism, not only are they declaring that they no longer want to be a slave of sin, but they are declaring from that point on their dependence upon God. Just the same as we read about with the colonists. Read with me and you'll see this in Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 3. Everything I've just said. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For we have been, if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, watch this, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. We're declaring our independence from sin. Satan, you're not ruling my life anymore. My sins are being forgiven. I'm rising up to walk in newness of life. I'm rising up to depend on God with every step I take. I am free from you. I am not gonna let you rule my life anymore. I'm not paying the price. Jesus already paid it. Victory is mine in him that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Verse seven, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Brethren, when your sins are gone, when your sins are covered by Christ, when you make that declaration that you're gonna lean on God, that Satan's not gonna rule your life anymore, that sin is not gonna reign in your heart anymore, Death no longer holds you slave. Death no longer holds you shackled. Death no longer has power over you. You belong to God now. Knowing that Christ, again, verse nine, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. That's us when we come up out of that water. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Verse 12, powerful verse for this. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. Why? He goes on to say, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but Present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. You've thrown off that oppressor. You've thrown off that which was not good for you. It won't have dominion over you because you're not under law, but you're under grace. He goes on in verses 22 and 3 of the same chapter to say this. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, though we, unlike, unlike the colonists, have been guaranteed our victory as long as we faithful faithfully follow the Lord who gained it for us. On the other hand, we are exactly like the colonists in the following way. Don't lose this. We are like the colonists in this way. 
As soon as we declare our independence from sin and Satan in the waters of Christian baptism, our oppressor turns up the heat and comes after us with a vengeance. Isn't that what he did to Jesus? Remember Jesus? Matthew chapter 3? Jesus is baptized, right? What immediately happens? Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 11. He's led up into the wilderness where he is tempted. Immediately, Satan turns up the heat. For us, even though we have declared our independence and even though that we are guaranteed the victory if we just stay faithful and walk with Jesus, it is after we declare our independence that some of the worst battles, some of the hardest fights, are then fought. Some of the most devastating of our battles actually begin just like they did with the colonists after they declared their independence. It was eight long years of fighting and bloodshed before they won that which they were seeking. And that brings us to the point that I, I really want to get to this morning that everything has been leading up to. Every Christian in this room, every Christian watching us at home, every Christian, and by that I mean, as we know, every sinner who has declared their independence and their break from letting sin rule over them by being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of their sins is fighting. Fighting. They are fighting their own personal battles. They are fighting their own personal, oft-times desperate and very deadly battles against the forces of sin, against the forces of Satan, against all of these evils because their former master, the devil, so desperately wants them back under his rule as well, just like when they declared their independence in July of 1776, the very same month, the oppressor whom they had been under said, I'm not tolerating this, and he sent 34,000 troops to New York. What I want for us to understand, every Christian Every Christian is fighting their own battles this morning. We've got to understand that. This room and the rooms of those watching at home are full of worn, battle-scarred soldiers of the cross this morning all of whom are dug in and fighting the good fight of faith continually, continually against the forces of sin and evil that are constantly, constantly threatening to pull them back down, re-enslave them again, and rob them of their eternal victory in Christ Jesus. We're all fighting some sort of battle. I may not know what yours are. You may not know what mine are. We together may not know what somebody else's are. But I believe this is one of the reasons because 
Once you declare that independence, the battle and the fight really begins because Satan really wants you back. I believe that that's maybe one of the reasons why the Apostle Paul wrote what he did in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, when he wrote, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, because he knew we were going to have a fight on our hands. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Do Christians have a fight on their hands? And every one of us at some point, maybe, maybe this morning you're one of the ones who's blessed with a lull in your battle. Praise God. But the lull ain't gonna stay. Maybe you're one of those that's really struggling this morning. But either way, the fight is real. And we're promised the victory. We need to praise God. The victory's been won. We just need to stay faithful and keep fighting. We may all be fighting different evils, different battles, different trials, and different temptations. But understand the person next to you and behind you and in front of you and the people around you, they're battle scarred. They're fighting. For some of our senior saints, the battle they face, the struggle they face may come in the form of loneliness. The loneliness that they must face because of the loss of their beloved spouse. All of those of us this morning who have our spouse and are blessed to have our spouse here with us need to give them an extra hug before the day is over. For some of our younger saints, this battle may come in the form of the loneliness and the temptations that they must daily face while seeking to find a worthy Christian spouse who will help lead their family to heaven. Or, for that same group, it may come in the form of the daily battle that they fight to stay pure until marriage in a world that's going to do everything in its power to make absolutely sure they do not. For some, it may involve their daily battle with a bad or sinful habit or tendency or, or memory from their past that threatens to overcome and take them down each and every day or each and every night of their earthly life. For others, their battle may be a little different. Could be the haunting and debilitating loss of a precious beloved family member due to either death, disease, desertion, or denial. For others, it may be their daily battle to overcome the cares, lusts, wants, and desires of the world, while for others, their battle may be daily against the chronic pain and suffering that they have to endure. And it is a pain and, a, and an affliction that threatens to undermine and destroy their faith and trust in God. 
Satan keeps wearing at them and wearing at them and wearing at them like the ocean tide coming in against the sandcastle and wearing and threatening to pull them down because of their pain, because of their thorn in the flesh that God has not taken away. For some, their battle could be over something as seemingly simple and yet vastly profound as their inability or lack of a tendency to forgive and let go of that, which they must in order to go to heaven, but it's no simple matter for them. There's these and a million other things. But the point this morning is, we're a room full of people. They're battle scarred. And while I could go on and on because there are so many others, you get the picture. Every one of your brethren who has made their declaration of independence in the waters of Christian baptism for the forgiveness of their sins has now thoroughly enraged and must therefore now thoroughly engage the enemy who once held them captive if they are going to maintain their freedom. The fight is on. So everyone here this morning either was, is still, or will soon be fighting hard for their eternal lives against sin, Satan, doubt. Do you ever fight, don't raise shake your heads, yes. Do you ever fight doubt? Did you ever just wonder and, and have, to, have to wrestle with doubt and, and fear and depression and all of those things? So many do. And so what I want for us to take from this this morning is this. When we understand that, when we really fully understand that, then we need to understand that when these battle-scarred warriors come here, this time and this place is we're together as God's family. We all need to find the strength and the love and the support and the mercy and the family and the reinforcement to continue the good fight. That's what we're here for. We need to find that in each other. That's what we need to find. We need to find that because everybody's hurt and everybody's fighting. And so, the conclusion to this, and it's a long conclusion, so don't think he's done already because he's not. But the conclusion to this is since the Declaration of Independence was adopted in 1776, the battle was then on in full. After that initial battle was fought and won at great personal cost, those eight years, to obtain our freedom, generation after generation of Americans have been called upon to fight to maintain that freedom that was originally given to them by others' blood sacrifices from 1776 to 1885. Likewise, since Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, at unimaginable, infinite personal cost, leaving, leaving behind the glories of heaven, leaving behind the treasures of heaven, and coming to this earth and all the toil and blood, since Jesus Christ, at unimaginable personal sacrifice, came and declared that the reason he was here was to set us free from the law of sin and death, 
And then he won that victory through his own perfect blood. He won his victory through what he did at Calvary. He won his victory, he won our victory, his and ours, for us, when he was resurrected from the dead. Since then, in the same way that Americans have had to fight to maintain their freedom, since it was initially won, generation after generation has been given the opportunity to be born again of the water and the spirit, to declare their independence from sin and to live under that freedom. But then they're gonna have to fight to maintain it because Satan is not impressed. Your own personal declaration of independence from his power occurs when you decide to be baptized into Christ, accepting his victory. But be warned, everybody be warned. Once you have taken advantage of that initially won freedom that Jesus died and rose again to obtain for you, there will be battles to maintain that freedom over the years that you have been given on a daily basis. The devil is not gonna give you up easily. He's not. He wants you back and enslaved to sin in the worst way. And he's not just gonna let you slide. Once you've declared that independence and become a Christian, there will be from Satan subterfuge, there will be civil wars, there will be sneak attacks. You can count on it. There was for Jesus, and there's going to be for you. But the beauty of it is, is that we're guaranteed the victory. Isn't God awesome? We're guaranteed the victory if we stay faithful in and fighting for King Jesus according to his commandments. On the other hand, Probably the vast majority of you in the room this morning, the vast majority listening at home, maybe already, probably already declared your independence from sin and Satan a long time ago when you were baptized. If you have, if you've already done that, then you know, you know the struggle is real, don't you? You know that. You know Satan's still out to get you. You know the struggle. You know how long and strong and relentlessly Satan and his forces will attack and fight you right up until the last breath because he wants to re-enslave you. And if that's you, you also know the infinite value of the love and the strength and the support and the encouragement and the reinforcement of your fellow soldiers in this battle of your fellow spiritual soldiers when you need it most. You know that just as the framers of the Declaration concluded in their document, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. When we were added to Christ's church, when God added us to his son's church upon our baptism, upon our declaration, we are pledging to God at the same time our lives, our treasure, and our honor. But by pledging that to God, we're also pledging it to one another. You know the value. You know how much you need the strength and encouragement in your fight. And if you're here this morning and you're one of those, maybe you realize, hey, wait a minute, yes, I need the strength and encouragement of my brethren to keep up the good fight. I need that strength they provide, but maybe 
as part of their Christian family, I haven't been all the strength and support to them that I need to be. Maybe you need prayers to help you become stronger, to do unto others as you would have them do unto you, to hold up their arms as you need them to hold yours up. And so if you are ready to make your own declaration of independence from sin and Satan this Sunday, July 4th morning, or if you are either in need of yourself or want to be better at providing to others any of that Christian support and love that we have talked about, we'll pray for you right now. For that support, to be a better support yourself, whatever it is you need, if you would declare your independence from sin and Satan this morning, you're no longer going to let the tyranny and oppression of sin rule over you. You're not going to let it take you down. You want to be free from that. You want to get rid of that load of sin and guilt. Jesus is waiting. Victory is assured. All you've got to do is make that declaration, stay faithful in the battles you fight, and your victory is guaranteed. Isn't God awesome? If you would make that this morning, your pledge, your, your answer, please come to the front right now as we stand and sing.